0: good morning again on this 21st day of June. Welcome to the second hour of Mornings with Carmen. So today marks the summer solstice in the northern hemisphere and the winter solstice in the southern hemisphere. So depending on where you live, today is either the day you're going to have the most hours of daylight or the fewest hours of daylight. So uh, I remember visiting Alaska Um, over this particular date a number of years ago, I think it was 2009, and enjoying a full 24 hours of light. Now, to be fair, the sun does set in Alaska, at least where we were, on, on this day, but just barely. Like, it dips just below the horizon, and then it comes right back up. And that's a pretty cool thing. Um, And so depending on where you are today, either the most hours of light or the fewest hours of light. And I think it's a good conversation for us to have in the culture. Great, great conversation for us to have with one another um, about the God who initiates all this by saying what? Let there be light. Like that is the first act of God in creation. And that is really cool. He turns on the light. And then if you go all the way to the end of the book, you discover that um, in in the ultimate reality, in the ultimate reality, there's going to be no need for the sun, S-U-N, because the sun, S-O-N, is going to be so radiant. And so there is this light in heaven that is all the time everywhere um, without shadow. So now just think about that for a moment. So today is, there's going to be a lot of light for most of us who live in the Northern hemisphere, a lot of light. What are we doing with all that light? And what are we doing as the people who abide in, who are the disciples of the one who is the very light of the world? Are we living as light bearers? Are we allowing our light to so shine before others that when they see our good works, they glorify God who is in heaven? Are we shiny like Paul refers to in Philippians, that we should shine like stars, even though we live in a dark and perverse generation? You know, go be shiny. Are we shining? And Paul uh, Perot is always good to tell me what, like, what day it is on the calendar. And so today is Holy Spirit Monday, among other things. Also, National Take Your Cat to Work Day, which I'm completely ignoring. But it's Holy Spirit Monday. Now, every day for us as Christians should be Holy Spirit Monday, Holy Spirit Tuesday, Holy Spirit Wednesday. But this one actually somehow made it on the calendar. So the calendar calendar. So on this Holy Spirit Monday and on this summer solstice, on this longest day of the year for many of us in the Northern Hemisphere, how are we going to be people who are shiny, who radiate the spirit of the living God out into the world that he so loves, um, that others might take note, take notice and be like, there is something going on with the radiance of that life. And then you and I would have opportunity to give testimony to the one indeed who shines within us, not just today, but for all eternity. Dr. Linda Mental is going to join us next. She hosts the Dr. Linda Mental show as well as um, her website. And we're just going to talk about a number of things. One of those is coping, how, how we can cope if we've got a difficult dad. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Basket
2: full of sandwiches and weenies. Then lock the house up. Now you're set.
0: This is my fight song. Take that. Joining me now, Dr. Linda Mental. You hear her right here on the Faith Radio Network on the Dr. Linda Mental Show. You can also check out what she's writing and her books as well at drlindamental.com. Linda, welcome back.
3: Good morning. And I, I want your listeners to know that I continue my protest against woke coffee. It's uh, it's quite the battle, but I'm I'm standing firm, standing my ground. <laughs> All right. So, oh, that's good to know. So I'm, I'm just, I'm just staying, I'm hanging in there with my, uh, my view here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, you have to take your stand somewhere. This is a good, this seems like a good, good place to stand. (laughs) So I, um, I haven't had an opportunity to talk with you since you all had to, um, had to part with your beloved pet. And I thought, Linda, if we could start there, that's a heart reality that so many of us, Face, I mean we face it yeah. fairly frequently because our pets do not live as long as we do, um, right. and so will you just visit with us for a moment about why is it that we get so attached and love them so deeply and and then you know how do we do what you guys have just done, which is say goodbye to a beloved pet
3: yeah it's so hard, and I know when I posted about it, I had so many comments and so many people and Uh, you know, talk about they had to do the same thing and, and how difficult it is. And I think because they're so integrated into our families and they become part of our families. Now, they're not our children, but they feel a little bit like that because they're constantly with us. Our dog had had been around our family and with us for 14 years, which is a very long time. Um, she was with us when our kids were still at home and as our kids left home. And she also was the comfort dog here at the medical school that I teach. And so she came to work with me every day. So, um, you know, she was such a part of everything that we did. And, you know, animals, especially, I think dogs are just so unconditionally loving. They they don't judge you. They're always there waiting for you. They always greet you. And uh, when it comes to the time when they get really, really sick, and it's just so difficult, uh, and you have to make that hard decision, it is just really, really difficult. And the loss is palpable. I mean, you feel it. I I felt it for a, a, about a week really intensely. I was having dreams. I was crying, uh, you know, at, at different moments. So it's just a big loss in people's lives because of how attached we get to these animals.
0: If you are on Twitter and you um, go look at the feed for Liberty Medicine um, and you scroll back, now you'd have to go back kind of far because there are some really cute pictures of you Um and your precious dog sitting in the yeah. office, uh, yeah. <laughs> in chairs and across the desk, and
3: all kinds yeah. of things, um, right? Working together, I just love it. Right. Yeah, well, co-laboring. And, she, and and dogs must be able to to smell stress because it's it was so cute in the mornings. She would wait for the students and the faculty and the students would come in at the same time and she would make a beeline for the students and always ignore the faculty and I mean I have no idea how she knew to do that and and it's really it was really something else too because medical students have what we call a white coat ceremony where they get their white coat which is the sort of the initiation into the profession of medicine and uh and afterwards there's a little party get together that we have at the medical school and so I had a white coat made for my dog, and we are a DO program, uh, Doctors of Osteopathic Medicine. And so what happens is you have your name on your white coat. It will say, like, um, you know, Jane Smith, DO. It'll say that name on there. So I had a coat made for her, and it it was inscribed with Zoe Mintel, DO, and then there was a little G.
0: Oh, (laughs) see, that's adorable.
3: I know. So... You know there was just so many things uh when your animals are just great and our dog was a was a uh was bred as a the daughter of a champion dog so her father was best in show best in breed at Westminster so she just was this beautiful miniature poodle black miniature poodle who had just perfect lines and I think just the way she she pranced and, and walked, people would stop me all the time and say, that's just such a beautiful dog. And not that that is you know, what, what drew us to her. It was really how she was just so loving and kind. And she was a very calm poodle. She never it was yappy or barked or anything. She greeted everybody and loved everybody. So it all makes it so hard to say goodbye to these incredible animals. I, I've read Randy Alcorn's book, Heaven. And while, you know, he can't be definitive about any of this, and he's very careful to be scriptural, I'm holding out hope that maybe we'll see our pets in heaven. I don't know.
0: Well, I don't know
3: either. Um,
0: I'm talking with Dr. Linda Mental. And um, so we're going to come back and we're going to talk about ways of coping with a difficult dad. And hopefully we're going to get to reversing a negative mindset because this is a really fantastic article as well. Um, But we had to have a little visit first about the importance and affection that we have for our pets and the loss that they've experienced in their family. So you're listening to Mornings with Carmen and we'll be right back.
3: You're a good, good father. It's who
0: you are to you are it's continuing my conversation with Dr. Linda Mental you can find the two articles that we are about to discuss at drlindamental.com Linda we have just passed father's day but um, you know there are those who are coping with a difficult dad so can you can you talk about um, equipping us to do that
3: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Carmen, because it isn't always easy on these holidays when people grow up with parents, either mothers or fathers who are abusive or who are mentally ill or are struggling with addiction, you know, and it it makes it very, very difficult because it gets at the the attachment um, that we all develop uh, in in either a really positive way or a not so positive way, uh, those early experiences in our lives with our parents really set the stage for how secure we feel uh, as we're growing up. And I, I love the song that you played, that Good, Good Father. It, it, I used that at the end of my psychiatry course where I showed the story of Simone Biles who grew up with a very difficult circumstances, or her dad wasn't around But uh, her grandfather adopted her, and it's the story just turns out beautifully at the end. So I want people to know that even though you might have a difficult father or difficulty with your dad, there can be a great um, turning because of the power of Christ in, in us. And as you mentioned, Holy Spirit Monday, Holy Spirit in us gives us the ability to really handle things that are difficult in our life. So one of the things that's really important is we always we always mix up this idea of honoring our father with thinking that we have to subject ourselves to really toxic um you know issues in our life and that isn't what that's about. So one of the most important things and a lot of people have read the book Boundaries and understand what boundaries are, you really have to set some boundaries so that you try to be with your father, you try to have conversations and then if it starts to become abusive or, or, or it starts to go south for whatever reasons, then you'd have to know how to cut it off and to say, you know, right now, I cannot continue to have that conversation with you um, because of the way you're talking to me. So I'm going to have to hang up. But I, I, I do love you and I do want to try to have a relationship. It's really hard to do because of all the emotional arousing that happens with that. But that's really where I, I try to work with people in therapy to get them to And then, you know, if there's addiction with your your father and you're having a conversation or you're in a situation and maybe he's drunk and he's not acting very kind at that point, you you simply say, when you're sober, I'll be back, but I, I cannot do this while you're in this state. And again, it's being respectful, it's being kind, but it also is setting that boundary. So that is really, really important. And probably... The second thing that is just probably the most important is our ability to forgive and to understand the hurt that we've experienced. And it's so important for people to know that when they're hurt and they forgive somebody, it doesn't mean that you're condoning the act. It doesn't mean that you're minimizing what happened to you. It actually is. And I love the definition that Dr. Robert Enright gives. He's at the University of Wisconsin. We're actually doing research with him on a forgiveness project at our school. But um, he says that it's the it's it's the right you give up your right to be to to the offense that was done to you and you choose instead to forgive somebody. And that is just critical into our own mental health, our own spiritual health moving forward, where we have to continue to forgive. And I'll tell you, I'm very concerned about what is happening in our culture with the area of forgiveness. I think it was Tim Keller who wrote a really great article, and it was called The Fading of Forgiveness. And he was talking about how in our culture, we're getting more and more into this thing of you oppressed me I'm not going to forgive you. I'm going to continue to hold on to that. And I'm going to get myself in a power position so I can oppress you back. I mean, this is very revenge oriented. It's not a good thing. It it does not go well for a person if they hold on to that. So forgiveness is one of the big things. Forgiveness and then tie that to mercy. And um, again, mercy seems to be somewhat lost in our culture. Think about cancel culture. And the minute somebody makes a mistake, people are jumping on them and and want to have some type of, you know, consequence right away rather than uh, dealing with people in a way that's merciful that acknowledges what has happened but also, you know, extend mercy to people and understand that people can grow and they can change. And that's 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 really important when we're dealing with our difficult dads. Yeah, knowing their
0: origin story, I think, um, always helps as well too. Like, gives me a little bit different perspective. So, if you want to read um, that entire piece and and have be equipped with this entire list of skills that Dr. Linda Mental is providing for us on ways of coping with a difficult dad, you can find that at drlindamental.com. Linda, I also thought this piece on reversing a negative mindset was so important and so practical. So, I want to I want to um, tee this one up as well. Negative thoughts lead to discouragement. And then that just leads me to more negative thoughts. And then that leads me to like a self destructive or self sabotaging, you know, behavior. I got to break that. How do I do it?
3: Yeah, and I would encourage people to listen to the the, the podcast that uh, is on your network that we did for our show, the Dr. Linda Mitchell Show. They can go to that. There's a whole podcast on this where we, we took on this topic and really tried to give practical help to people. But what you have to understand from the beginning is that our brains are designed actually to have a negative bias. Um, And that sounds funny, um, but that is probably why there's so much in the Bible about putting on the mind of Christ and thinking on positive things and trying to be intentional about renewing our minds every day. Uh, the The little phrase I use is that negative thoughts are a little bit like Velcro. They stick really easy. And positive thoughts are more like Teflon. They kind of fly off. So all of us have had that experience of we get an evaluation and there's like, 10 things that the person says to us that are really great about our performance. And then we hear one thing that is a problem or that needs to be worked on, and all we focus on is that negative thing. We forget all the positive. Um, it's like, you know, it, it's like Teflon, it just goes away and the negative really sticks with us. But you have to you can change this. You can change the brain. Brain is very Uh, adept at making changes. It's called neuroplasticity in the brain. And what you can do is you have to stop and really notice that negative thought that you're having. And then you have to quickly shift that negative thought to something positive. And it's important that you do that very quickly. I I say in the article uh, that within 30 seconds, because if you linger on a negative thought, it has a better opportunity to be really put into the deeper part of the brain and you don't wanna do that. Because then the brain learns negative patterns and negative thoughts and it keeps retrieving those. So you want to be able to shift your attention to the positive. And then when you're thinking of something that's positive, really linger on that to give that a chance to be absorbed into the brain. So think about it, really. And that's why the Bible says, think on these things. And there are all these positive things that are are prescribed for us in the Bible. So keep those in your mind. And if you continue to practice this and be very intentional, and I think this goes very nicely along with Scripture, that it will change your brain and you can begin to develop a more positive mindset and lose that negative thinking.
0: I heard someone say once, we dwell in what we dwell on. And yeah. I think that's, I think that's true. I think that's true. I thought this particular piece on um, reversing a negative mindset was so helpful. I mean, we're supposed to be people whose minds are set on the things that are above, you know, our set on Christ seated at the right hand of the father. But so often our mindset is not, um, you know, in that direction. It's, it's, self-defeating and self-deprecating. And so I just thought it was really, really a helpful piece. Again, you guys can find it at drlindamental.com, Reversing a Negative Mindset. And also um, the podcast on the same topic right here on myfaithradio.com. Linda, as always, thank you so much. Thanks, Carmen. Have a great week. You too. We're going to take a break for Breakpoint. So we love to catch up with World Magazine's uh, editor-in-chief, Marvin Olasky. I love to talk with him. Today he's joining us for um, a pretty unique conversation. He has written a book entitled Lament for a Father. It It is an agonizing and raw and honest and ultimately beautiful book about his own dad. And so, um, settle in for my conversation with Marvin Olasky. We'll be right back.
1: This is Max Locato. Resentment sucks satisfaction from the soul, bitterness consumes it. Revenge has a monstrous appetite. One act of retaliation is never enough. Grudges send us on a downward spiral. Some people perceive the path of forgiveness to be impossibly steep. So let's be realistic. Forgiveness does not pardon the offense, excuse the misdeed, or ignore it. Forgiveness is not even necessarily reconciliation. The phrase forgive and forget sets an unreachable standard. Painful memories are not like old clothing easily shed. Forgiveness is simply the act of changing your attitude toward the offender. It's moving from a desire to harm toward an openness to be at peace. A step in the direction of forgiveness is a decisive step toward happiness. This is Max Locato, and this is how happiness happens.
0: Marvin Olasky has joined us before. You know him as the editor-in-chief of World. Um, You find him at World Magazine. He is the author of more than 20 books. He spent 25 years teaching journalism at the University of Texas. He is the dean of the World Journalism Institute. He is a published author. um, And he's here to talk with us specifically today about his newest book, and I would say his most personal endeavor yet, Lament for a Father. Marvin, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen.
2: Well, thanks, Carmen.
0: Absolutely. So this book is, um, I described it uh, in the lead up to this conversation as agonizing and um, honest and ultimately beautiful. For folks who haven't read it yet, um, this is the story of a boy who became a man, who became an investigative journalist, who then applied those skills to discovering um, a particular truth, and that is the particular truth about his own dad. So Marvin, why don't you tell us a little bit about the experience um, that you went through in, in preparing to write this book and then in the writing of it?
2: Well, sure, agonizing, but also stimulating and exciting. Uh, my father was very reticent. He would not talk at all about his experience in and right after World War II. He wouldn't talk about much of anything and he died in 1984, and I really didn't know much about his past or how he became the person he was. What I've learned in this process is that even if our father died many years ago, uh, there are still lots of ways to find out. I interviewed 10 of my cousins and got their impressions, but particularly using the internet, I went back and learned what kind of music he listened to in the 1930s, learned about his education, learned about difficulties he had, uh learned about his professors in college and what they were teaching and how that differed from the Orthodox Judaism in which he was brought up. So I could just learn a lot by doing research. So this is, it's a book about my father, but it's also in a way a, a how-to book to for people to find out about their own fathers.
0: So you talk about um, like his Orthodox Jewish childhood in Boston and then his time at Harvard. Um, talk with us about, the difference in terms of the things that we, because I think parents face this today, right? Kids go off to school and they learn things that are different than the things that they learned um, in our homes as people of faith. Talk about that in terms of your, of your own dad um, and how his, the the intersection there between maybe spiritual truths and, and things that he learned about the world.
2: He grew up believing in the Genesis history of how we are, who we are. Uh, namely, there's a Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve are real people. There is sin and all the consequences of that. Then he goes to Harvard, and <clears throat> his father wants him to be a doctor, but he's miserable in chemistry and other pre-med subjects. So he switches his major to anthropology, and there he learns a totally different worldview—a Darwinistic, materialist worldview. Uh, it's all it's all evolution. It's all impersonal. Uh, there's no God, and he has to choose. Am I going to stick with, with what I learned or am I going to be a success at Harvard? And I think tragically in his own life, he decides he wants to be a success at Harvard.
0: How do you feel like that um, affected your family?
2: Well, over time, while still uh, having a, a belief in, in Jewish culture, he lost the center Namely, a belief in God. So this was a a donut essentially. There was nothing in the middle, and over time, uh, he uh, essentially uh, acted like and probably thought like an atheist. Uh, it led to to consequences for my older brother and myself that uh, we we stopped believing in any kind of a God. I declared at age fourteen, while well, I was bar mitzvah at thirteen, atheist at fourteen, and. That led me down, down lots of roads personally politically which were which were bad places to go, so uh other types of things happened to my brother who stayed an atheist but became basically a nihilist uh and led to a lot of pessimism in his own life so yeah it had it had consequences, and I think it had consequences for my father himself. he increasingly because of that and other things uh became. Pessimistic. His favorite saying was "Expect the worst, so you won't be disappointed," and uh, he did, and he was disappointed, and uh, and there was a lot of sadness.
0: I'm wondering, um, and I, I imagine others are wondering too, like what kind of marriage that meant your parents had. And you talk about that in in this book, Lament for a Father. Um, You also talk about, you know, family life. Marvin, this is a lot to put out there in front of other people. It's also a lot to discover about the origin story, um, you know, of your dad. Just could you just wade around a little bit in kind of personally what this experience was like for you?
2: Well it's a yeah, it's a lot to put out there, uh, just as there's a there's a lot in life. There's the uh the Bible is full of all sorts of unpleasant incidents, but it uh but it does have an ending, uh, in which uh through God's grace we learn about Him, we change. Uh so yeah, there's there's contentment that comes after a lot of a lot of stress. And that's certainly the way it was in, in my own life and my own family. Uh um My mother was very disappointed in life generally and in marriage specifically. And she made that clear, uh, which, again, had consequences, uh, I think, for for myself and and thinking about marriage and life and and attitudes towards women and so forth. Uh, The the good news here is that is that Christ overcomes all those difficulties. Uh, He changed my life. He's changed the life of uh, lots of people. So it's useful in that sense. It's not the the book does not end up as a as a sad pessimistic book. I think it it ends up showing that uh, that God God rules and and we can change. And if uh, if for, for a lot of people who had very difficult childhoods and parents to some extent at war with each other, uh, I think it's reassuring to know that, that God can triumph over all that.
0: It, it it is a beautifully reassuring book um but you do have to read it all the way to the end the book is lament for a father i appreciated um that you you let us linger in the difficulty for a very long time during uh during the reading of the book uh i felt like the experience of um how long it takes to get to the ultimately beautiful part um was important just in the reader's experience um, I think you probably understand what I'm saying. So um, mm-hmm. We're going to return to this conversation in just a moment with Marvin Alasky. Um, we're going to talk about um, what knowing someone else's origin story does in terms of affecting our relationship and the role that humility and forgiveness plays when we're talking about our own parents. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Run to the
1: father before-
0: Continuing my conversation with Marvin Alasky, we are talking about his new book, Lament for a Father. This is an opportunity for us to delve into origin stories, um, to think about how we might research our own family history and the histories of our parents, um, that we might come to know them better that that might positively affect uh, our relationship with them if they're still living. It also might provide a way for us to understand them with humility and forgiveness if they have already passed on. So Marvin, let's dig around in that a little bit. How do you think knowing someone's origin story affects our relationship um, or maybe it just affects us?
2: Well, it, it really helps when, whether we're engaged in evangelism or just day-to-day conversation to know where a person's coming from. And if there are unresolved conflicts in a person's life, uh, that's really important to know. I got into this, uh, I, had, I had been asking questions for a long time, but I got seriously into writing this book uh, a couple years ago after I wrote a column for World about never playing catch with my father and got an enormous outpouring of letters uh, with, with lots of emotional raw spots about people who had experiences like that. Uh, unresolved conflicts uh with fathers, some of whom were still alive, others who were dead, but it really affected their psychology and affected in many ways their ability to to believe in God the father in heaven it's it 's sometimes hard to uh to praise and and trust our Father in heaven if we haven 't developed that with our with our physical fathers here on earth so it's it's it 's huge uh, and much more than I expected again from that column, just just hearing about all the unresolved conflicts. So this is this is a this is a book for people who uh had Father's Day yesterday and, and felt mournful and sad about their experience with their own father. But as the as the announcement uh the commercial just just a moment ago, uh uh yeah, forgiveness is is important for those we have to forgive and, and ourselves.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about, let's talk about the role of humility and forgiveness. I think it takes a measure of humility to start um, engaging in the kind of, uh, of research that you did to, um, to produce this book. It takes humility to um, consider the humanity of our parents uh, and forgiveness is a huge part of this. So, can you talk about humility and forgiveness?
2: Well, we uh, we all like to think uh, as parents that we're we're doing a better job than our own parents did, and sometimes that may be true, sometimes not. Um, but we uh, whatever parents do, uh, and this this is, includes good parents, there there are some memories that kids have. Uh, of of sadness and and sometimes even bitterness and um, we we have to we have to expect that and be willing to talk about it and ask our kids um, and that's that's a lot of humility because uh yeah we we want to think we there may be a few things that that our fathers really uh, upset us about and we can resolve as parents to have a list and not do those things and do other things but then we we find perhaps that uh, that our kids while enjoying uh, our our attempts in that list, there were other things we did. So, you know, I think I think if we um, if we don't forgive our our parents, then uh, perhaps our kids will have trouble forgiving us.
0: Again, I'm talking with Marvin Olasky. You know him from World Magazine. He is uh, here today talking about his latest book, Lament for a Father. Um, when. When someone listening right now is thinking to themselves, well, he's an investigative journalist, like he actually knows how to do this. I, I know you shared this early in the conversation, but for people who may have missed that, you know, what are three or four ways that they could go about doing the kind of research that you have done um, in terms of your own dad, the people that you interviewed, the, the sources that you turned to, the the learning that you did to understand his context and his origin? Can you share those ideas again?
2: sure i I wanted to learn what life was like in the neighborhood in Malden, Massachusetts, which is uh kind of a it was a a working class close in suburb north of Boston uh What were the homes like? what were the streets like a uh, particular park where my father and mother met what was that like? I could find that all out through through the internet, just starting to ask questions and and uh going and being referred to. Uh, histories of of that community, I wanted to find out about his uh, his courses in college and what was taught in there. I could find that out through the internet. Uh, what kind of music my mother particularly looked like I've listened to what, what what kind of music she liked uh, and since she liked to tune in on Saturday afternoons to the Metropolitan Opera from new york uh what the uh, what kind of operas were were broadcast nationwide at that time so all these all these details. Ah uh, what kind of furniture were were in typical homes at that point in, in houses like theirs uh, all of it's available amazingly on the internet and of course we didn't have that thirty years ago. It's a great resource. You just dive in and you learn as you go along
0: um and and for those who you know who still have parents who are living or a parent um who is living, what might um an oral history look like like what kinds of conversations do you think um well, if you could ask your dad a couple of questions that he would honestly answer, what might those be?
2: Well, I would ask about um, why. Well, I think I know why his worldview changed, his 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 basic understanding of things, as he tried to get in with the with the in crowd at Harvard. I mean, same types of pressures as you mentioned on evangelical kids today going to college. So. I know some of that, but I would I would like to know more about that transition and how it felt to be to be knocked around by by waves of doctrine and how he perhaps first resisted that, how he accepted that. Um, I'd like to I'd like to know from my mother what her expectations really were going into marriage. I can conjecture on that. I think uh, I think I'm pretty clear on it, but but I may be mistaken. Uh, So those I I would just be interested in their histories and and what they believed at particular times.
0: So I'm curious, um, you know, you shared with us that your dad uh, would say, you know, expect the worst so as never to be disappointed. Um, that's not your outlook at all. So I'll ask this of you. What do you expect?
2: Oh, um, I've just turned 71, uh I hope to have many more years. Uh my wife and I will in a week be celebrating our forty fifth anniversary. So congratulations. Yeah, so so I'm I'm looking forward to that, but this is all in God's hand and and I do have a confidence uh in, in heaven. Uh don't know exactly what it'll be like, but it'll be good and I am I am looking forward to that really as the as the next stage in my life. Not, I'm not in a hurry to get there because I am, I am so blessed here on earth. But um, yeah, I am. I am. Uh, I, I don't think I have the the dread of death that's very common among people without faith in God and without a belief in heaven.
0: Mm-hmm. Marvin, what a delight to talk with you. Um, thank you so much for sharing this really intimate, important look, not only into your own family but really into the conversations that we all long to have and things that we long to know um, in terms of the origin stories of our own parents help us understand ourselves better, but certainly understand them better and uh, cultivate a really genuine appreciation for them. Um, so thank you so much.
2: Thank you, Carmen.
0: Absolutely. That's Marvin Olasky. The book is Lament for a Father. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Your dreams were your ticket out? Back. Yes, it's nice to be back. Thank you all for your little text messages this morning. Remember during the show, the text lines always open 877 933 You can email me, Carmen, at MyFaithRadio.com. If you visit MyFaithRadio.com today, you're going to see the little invitation banner to our special Faith Radio live stream event this coming Sunday evening. We're calling it Conversations with Carmen. It's at 7 p.m. Central this Sunday night. Go ahead and mark your calendar. um, Share it with your friends. Start thinking about the questions you want to ask. It really is an interactive live stream with you and me. So if you don't show up, I'm going to just be, I don't know, talking to myself. So it's on Facebook, it's on YouTube, go to myfaithradio.com to get all of the info and, uh, yeah, get prepared to join us. Let's be praying today for our friends in Naperville, Illinois. I'm mindful that we've had Dane, we've had Dane Ortland on the program, but I'm thinking that there are a couple of other folks we've had from Naperville on the show as well as be praying for them in the aftermath of the tornado that tore through their community. And, uh, Let's be um, people who expect always the unexpected and anticipate miracles, knowing that with God, all things are possible. So that was, um, that's my expectation for this day. What are you expecting today? You, are you living with a hopeful anticipation of God doing something good, showing off, revealing his own glory, inviting you into some sort of divine appointment that only God could set, some way in which he intends to use you today as a kingdom ambassador to draw people's attention to the reality of heaven, to an eternal, uh, to the eternal reality in which we live, like a heaven-focused, maybe not heaven-focused, at least a heaven-acknowledging worldview. Let's be expecting the unexpected. Let's be anticipating miracles, and let's be trusting that with God, all things really are possible, even that which right in this moment seems impossible to you.